It's go time. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Pat is not here tonight. It's cut down day as of Monday in the CFL. A lot of uh, battles that we're shaping up now are going to be even tougher because rosters are shrinking and jobs, of course, are at a premium. Just out of curiosity, uh, looking at the Calgary Stampeders, let's start with them. They've got a tremendous battle for receiver. They've got some quality guys that have been there. What do you think of that situation as they move forward? So the four receivers kind of with the most experience, I would say, would be um, Huff, Jordan, Ambles, and Mayala. Um, looking at their numbers from the last season, um, Kamar Jordan is the leader of that group. Uh, he was nearly a 1,000-yard receiver, and um, I believe he had six touchdowns. So I think he's going to be the real leader on that receiving core. Um, I did pick Markeith Ambles to kind of be a breakout player offensively as well. Um, so if you look at the other three, they all had very similar numbers. Huff, Ambles, and Mayala all had between five and 600 yards receiving. So not a lot of separation between them. And I think it's going to be really important for them all in this camp to, to see who Bo Levy connects with, who he feels that kind of chemistry with going forward and, and really kind of decide who the the uh, the bookends of that receiving core are going to be. Um, if I had to pick two, I would say Jordan and Ambles right now. But uh, like I said, Huff and Mayala are very close in there as far as their numbers from the previous year. So a good camp can really have them climb the ladder as well. Mayala, of course, helps out with the ratio. And anytime you can get that working for you on the offensive side, that's all the better for you. I was listening to the Turf podcast there a while ago. They were talking that maybe Edmonton with Walker and and Ellingson, et cetera, they could maybe have four 1,000-yard receivers in a 14-game schedule. I found that a little bit out there, but it's positive thinking. Give them credit for that. I just don't think that you could have enough time to get four players over that mark. You're averaging, what, 75 yards a game for each one of them? That's a 300-yard out put for those four alone, let alone if you toss the ball to your backs. That's going to be some real gunslinging offense to hit those numbers for sure in a in a 14-game season. It would be interesting to see. You know, it, it harkens back to some of the days of guys like Dunnigan and Flutie slinging the ball around and putting up yards with receivers. Um, you know, is is Harris the guy in Edmonton to get those kind of numbers? I don't know. He's, he's certainly got the weapons there, and uh, it would be exciting to see a race for a thousand yards with four guys in the running there. It could be really, really high octane offense. Harris with Elizondo put four guys over a thousand yards receiving core that made the, uh, across the, the, you know, the four digit mark. If he can do it again in Edmonton, that would mean that my thought that Edmonton finishes last is probably out the window because if you're putting up those kind of numbers, the Elks are probably vying for first, not finishing behind everybody. And again, I reiterate, we've talked about it many a time. One win could separate third to fifth, first to third. And those receiving yard totals and rushing yard totals are going to be really interesting to see over a 14-game season. I mean, your your elite receivers in the league are generally breaking that 1,000-yard mark somewhere in that, that game 13 to 15. So we could see a few 1,000-yard receivers 
I think four on one team is a bit of a stretch, but you never know. I, I guess a 1,200-yard receiving season would be absolutely phenomenal. A uh, 1,000-yard rushing is going to be a pretty elite uh, number of yards, I think, for, for a running back this year as well. And, uh, you know, we've got a kind of... I, I hate to use the term put an asterisk on stats. It's going to be really interesting to see where those league leaders are in a lot of those categories. Even sacks, is somebody going to break 10 sacks? That would be a, a huge season, I think, in a, in a shortened season like this as well. It's interesting how we refer to this as a shortened season because, in truth, the East played 14 games right up until the 1970s. They didn't consider it a shortened season back then. Now, having said that, for the West, yes, this is the least they've played since about the 19, early 1950s. That um, will impact, I think, individual stats, as you say, because there just there isn't the time. And, and heaven forbid that anybody tweaks an ankle and has to miss a week. Then everything is now compounded and trying to stretch out to get to 1,000 yards, regardless of which team it is. I mean, you could argue that Toronto may have two or three receivers that are capable of doing that. You've got weapons galore all over the place. You've got MOP quarterbacks all through the West. There's no no doubt that those types of numbers are available. It's just a question of who gets going the fastest in August and who can sustain once they get going. I think you hit a key point there in, in not being able to miss games and lead. In an 18-game season, we saw Andrew Harris had a drug suspension for two games and still continued to lead the league in rushing. I don't think a receiver or a running back can afford to miss two games out of 14 and be the league leader. Um, with the, the extra four games, you can kind of make up that difference with a couple of, of big nights. But, um, you know, missing two in the, in 14 games is going to be really tough to be a, a league leader in any category. The other thing, and I think we don't talk about it enough, but the majority of games are going to be played post-September 1st. And in a normal season, that's not the case. This is a far different scenario we're looking at with four games in front and then the rest all behind. That means that you're going to be more cold weather tracks, that you're going to have slippery fields. As we've sort of colloquially thought of it, once you get past Labor Day, that's when the race of the playoffs really began. I've always found that odd because if you've lost all your games up to September 1st, there's no race that you're going to be a part of in the first place. You've got to make up ground early to get to a spot where you can be in a position to do something about what you did earlier. If we're going to have 10 games post-September 1st, everything's going to be heightened. Everything's going to be more intense. I just don't know where you're going to find those types of numbers because defenses have something to say about this. Absolutely. Um, to your point, though, about the race after Labor Day, we've seen teams... I don't think you can you can have a losing record before Labor Day and then win your division. You'd be pretty hard-pressed. But we saw the BC Lions a few years ago have an 0-5 start and ended up making the playoffs. Um, if teams were able to turn things around after Labor Day and make a, a run in the, you know, going even, um, you know, five and one over a six game stretch in the second half of the season, they could push for that, that final playoff spot. Um, weather is going to be more of a factor this year, I think, than in any other year. So that will be a, a big part of a team's success is how they're going to adapt to playing so many games with more adverse weather conditions. 
And speaking of those adverse weather conditions, I know you and I are about 40 kilometers apart, but as I look out the window, I don't know if I'm looking at cloud or if I'm looking at smoke. And the only way to know is to walk outside, and if you can smell it, it's smoke. It's the fires that are burning in the on the Pacific coast that are wafting across as well as northern Alberta, northern Saskatchewan, northern Manitoba, depending on which way the wind is blowing. That could impact, and we saw that already with training camp. That's right. The bombers canceled their practice during the day because the CFLPA deemed that the air quality was not safe enough for them to have a practice. Uh, they did get on the field uh, later on this evening to get a, a practice in, but it's certainly a concern. Um, you know, earlier this week, looking out my front window, it was almost like we were in a campground. The smoke was hanging so low, you could hardly see across the street. Your The back of your throat's burning. I couldn't imagine being out for <laughs> at a high performance level trying to run and all those sorts of things in this kind of kind of weather. It's hopefully we get some rain again soon to, to uh, extinguish some of those fires but it's got to be a pretty tough situation for all those guys out on the field well imagine opening night the tie cats are in winnipeg and that smoke is still hanging there what do you do if you're the cfl i guess that, that will be dependent on that air quality right i mean we've seen ice bowls we've seen fog bowls i can't uh, mud bowls i can't imagine having a smoke smoke bowl i think that's very dangerous especially i mean we're, we're coming through a global pandemic that really has a impact on people's breathing and respiratory systems. I don't know the numbers of how many players ended up having COVID, if there are any of them having post-COVID symptoms and that sort of thing as well, but it can absolutely put players at risk if they're trying to, to play in those conditions. And it would be a real shame to have come through all of this to have a game suspended due to smoke and, and hopefully things clear up and we don't have to worry about that. You speak of uh, players with COVID, rigors of the CFL's COVID testing program found 10 players with COVID, five of whom never got on a plane, so they're still back at home, but the other five had to be quarantined. That impacts a training camp when you've got somebody that you expect to be there and suddenly now 14 days is taken away. It does for sure. I mean, two weeks in a in a regular situation is a long time. And when we're trying to get everything condensed and get something on the field, it could be really catastrophic to lose somebody for that amount of time. What do you do as a coach? Do you make allowances for something like this or do you not? It's, a, it's an ethical question as much as it is a practical question in terms of your roster. Because you've got people that went through the protocols, are double-dosed, and you've got those that didn't pass the test. Now we're sitting in a hotel somewhere. How do you balance that? That's a real tough question. We've already seen teams trim from around 100 players down to 75 here this week. And I would guess that there are going to be some players that probably are going to be cut because of this. Um, if they're already walking a fine line, is a team going to invest that extra time to see what they can do? If it's one of one of your elite caliber players, you know, a Charleston Hughes or, um, you know, a, a Bo Burnham or somebody like that, as a team, you're probably going to ride it out. You know that they're going to be a big part of your team, the impact that they can have. But for some of these guys trying to crack a roster spot, that might be the excuse for a team to say, see you later. 
it does happen in pro sport, even though you may not want to hear that it does happen. But yes, the elite athletes typically get a few more allowances. It seems like the camps are going along, except for Achilles injuries. And again, we've had another one. This is, I'm just stunned at how many there have been so far. And Achilles are such a catastrophic injury. Not like they were when Maurice Richard got his and it ended his hockey career. But certainly it's going to be a player on the shelf for the season. It's always interesting that there seems to be a common thread throughout a season. And unfortunately, it looks like the Achilles injuries might be that common thread this year. Um, 2019, we saw starting quarterbacks dropping like flies. Um, You know, it's been various things like that that come and go. And to see seven players already at this point really done for the year because of Achilles, it really makes me wonder how much the football movement that they're kind of getting back into um, really affects it. And it's something that I had never really thought about that seriously. Um, You know, to see these many, these common injuries occurring across multiple teams now as well. We've got um, Saskatchewan, Montreal, and Winnipeg all affected. And, uh, you know, I guess the adage is true that nothing, no amount of training can completely simulate the activity of football. And and I, I think that's what we're starting to see. I wonder too, and maybe this is way out there, but players right now are so fit and so wound up, so tight, that maybe there isn't that give anywhere else in the body anymore. Just, I don't know, because it just seems to be so absurd that, and Mercy Maston, who went down for the Bombers, he wasn't chasing a menacing ball. He was just doing doing coverage on a route, got tangled up with the receiver, and the next thing you know, he's gone. Yeah, and there's there's schools of thought as far as um, cross-sport and cross-training. And, you know, you're seeing athletes now more specialized and they don't do the other things that might increase that flexibility or that range of motion. Um, you know, you, you think of the old days of the NHL and the CFL where guys came to training camp to get in shape. And we're seeing if you're not in top shape now when you come in, you're not going to make the team. And Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player of all time, was a huge proponent from playing multiple sports. He was a very talented baseball player as well. And and he said, as soon as the hockey season ended and his backyard rink melted, him and his brothers grabbed the baseball gloves and the bat and, and played something different. And, you know, it, it changes your hand-eye coordination. It changes your perspective on a lot of things. And it, it gives you different movements that can strengthen different parts of the body. And I think that specialization might be really hurting these guys as well. Bo Jackson certainly played at the highest level in in two different sports. It really begs of the question because at the best of times, I don't know if I remember a season where there'd be two or three injuries in a given season, such as this particular type. But here we are, we're not even two weeks into camp and six before camps really started and now the first one post-camp starting. It's sad because these guys have been waiting so long. And this was one of my great fears. Guys are waiting so long to get back on the field. They're so excited that it's happening again. And I just, it hurts to see guys that have been waiting and now they don't even get that chance. And it sounds like the camps have been competitive and intense already as well. We've, I've read a few articles about some scuffles on the field here and there. So you're, you're absolutely right. They've been chomping at the bit for 
almost two full calendar years now to get back out on the field and competition is high tension is high tempers are high and uh you know i i hope this is the last of these achilles injuries but sadly it wouldn't surprise me if there's a couple more here even before the season gets going ontario was announcing as part of their reopening program that up to 15,000 people can attend outdoor events i.e Red Blacks, Tiger Cats, Argonauts games. That's a huge piece of news for those three squads because that gives them the opportunity now to gain some revenue from attendance, which is something that we didn't know would happen or not. Yeah, huge news. And I mean, for the Argos, that's getting reasonably close to what they were drawing for for fans at a lot of their games. Um, certainly Hamilton and Ottawa attracted more uh for their games but but 15,000 is a pretty significant number um you know I've I've been to various professional sporting events be it CFL Major League Baseball that have had crowds of that size and you know it looks empty in some of those big cavernous stadiums but we're talking now about uh BMO Field for the the uh the Argonauts and 15,000 there could be a pretty significant crowd uh it's great to see um there's going to be enough fans in the buildings to to make noise and get the players excited as well. And, uh, you know, as much as the professional athletes are professional and have a job to do, it has to be difficult to do that in front of empty stadiums. Um, and we've seen that throughout various leagues over the last year. Well, let's go back to the NFL and when they started to allow a, a limited number of people to playoff games, especially. A small crowd can affect a great big amount of noise. And that is part of home field advantage. I've been to BMO Field. I've been to Tim Hortons in Hamilton, and I've been to Ottawa's, forgetting TD Place, I believe it is. In each of those stadiums, the noise level can be almost a din when the crowd really gets into it. And especially at BMO Field. I don't know what it is with the acoustics there. It's sort of akin to what Winnipeg has, where the roof just drives the noise back down onto the field. And it, and even 10,000 people sounds like 40,000. It's just amazing. Yeah, well, I'm excited for the players that they're going to be able to play in front of, up front of crowds across the league. It's, it's a, huge, a huge boost to them and a huge boost to the interest for fans, I think, as well. Defensive coordinator Leroy Blue has left BC Lions camp for family and health reasons, and that's a huge hit at this late stage of the game for the Lions to recover from because that's one guy, of course, that you're counting on to operate your defense, and now unfortunate circumstances, and he he has to go. Yeah, I hope for their sake that um, that defensive playbook was was thorough and they knew the systems that they're running – and that, um, you know, somebody else can jump in and, and take on that role. But that's got to be a tough a tough pill to swallow for those players. Um, you know, we talked about BC and, and our guess that they were going to be much improved this year. Losing, losing somebody that key on your coaching staff can be a pretty hard hit. Do they ever dare? They've got somebody on salary already who was the head coach of the team at the beginning of the 2019 season, and defense is his specialty. Do they dare to say, hey, can you run our defense, Mr. Claybrooks? That would be something, wouldn't it? Uh, 
I, I don't know if I've ever heard of a situation where a coach has been fired and still under underpay role on that team and brought back. I think it would be great to see. He, he seems like a great guy. Uh, you know, I think it was a tough first assignment as a head coach. And, um, you know, it would be a really interesting storyline to see him come back and run that defense. It's a different group that's operating the team. They may not be averse to that idea because they're in a bind with Blue gone. You've got to have somebody there. Now, I don't know if they're going to promote a linebacker coach or something like that, but Clay Brooks is there, was there. And now he might be bitter and say, forget it. I, I just, as a notion, why not? What have you got to lose by asking? Yeah, you're already paying them. And instead of paying somebody else to come in, that might be worth a look. And certainly at least to bring them into camp, um, you know, to, to have somebody in, in camp with that kind of experience. Um, I think the players that played under him really liked him as a coach as well. It would be, like I said, it would be a fantastic storyline if that came to fruition. We are roughly now just over two weeks away as we record this podcast. What is it you're looking for in the last two weeks? We, we know that there's going to be one more cut down date at the end of the month. Is there anything that you think that really is going to be a bellwether as to how teams are going to be adjusting to get into this season? I think a lot of it is going to hedge from what the Toronto Argonauts do. Um, we, we've kind of talked a lot about them signing just about every free agent under the sun. Um, we know they're not going to be able to keep them all. So it's going to be really interesting to see what players get looks from other teams when those cuts start to come down. Um, I know there's going to be some marquee names on there and it's going to be a, a decision by each team as to whether some of these veterans that have all this experience are going to be worth that investment or if they're going to go with what they've got in camp right now. So um, that's that's one of the things that I'm looking the most forward to. Um, you know, there's a few competitions here and there to see what shakes out. I know the Riders are really looking hard at second quarterbacks right now. We know Cody Fajardo is the, is the main guy, uh, but behind him, it's a real open race right now for that second quarterback role. Uh, I read today that the Bombers have signed... Um, Tyler Carpena as a as a kicker to come in and challenge uh, Mark Leggio. Big shoes to fill there with the retirement of Justin Medlock. I've read some good and bad of Leggio in camp so far. Uh, very, very strong. He was making some 57-yard field goals in camp. Uh, looks like a linebacker. Um, so I think he's one of those guys that wouldn't be afraid to mix it up if some guy's trying to run a missed field goal or a punt back against him. But he is still a CFL rookie, so bringing somebody like Carpena in, some challenge to him in camp is, I think, a good thing. And we'll see what shakes out in Winnipeg and, and whether they have to go beg Justin Medlock to come back for one more year or if they've got the next kicker in camp. Uh, it'll be a big one to watch there as well. Pat is big on the idea that Toronto will be open to trades. We've seen one with Blue Bombers already this week. But I'm not so sure that there'll be more coming. Teams are going to have a full month with their rosters developing them and I'm not sure how a trade is going to solve an answer that you haven't already figured out in those 30 days with the guys that you've got yeah unless there's very specific holes and and very specific players that you know can come in and fill them right and that was what Winnipeg looked at doing was bringing another defensive back in because they lost a real high caliber 
defensive backfield in Winnipeg was one of the things that was hit the hardest for them as far as uh, players getting looks in the NFL and, and that sort of thing as well. So to lose somebody of, uh, of Madsen's caliber, they had to do something uh, and try to find somebody else to come in and, and uh, be a leader on that defensive backfield. You mentioned guys getting a look in the NFL. I wonder how the landscape changes when NFL cuts come. Yeah, with the way the season is going to run, it's it's kind of changing that dynamic as well, isn't it? Could very well. Again, if there's somebody that a team thinks is going to be really impactful, they may have a look. But that deep into the season, you might really be committed with what you've got. And uh, unless there's an absolute game changer, you probably stand pat. One thing that we had touched on on a previous podcast was Bill C218 and its impact on the league. And we were talking about one of the biggest things that the CFL had trouble with is this whole notion of transparency when it comes to injuries. Well, it looks like now the CFL is looking to redress that issue. Yeah, and, and we certainly talked about the secrecy. It might be a, a tough pill to swallow for Coach O'Shea in Winnipeg. Uh, we know he likes to hold his cards close to the chest, if you will. In order to attract more gambling revenue to the league, they have to be transparent. They have to be forthcoming with what's going on. Um, We had kind of speculated whether the league would push that or not. It looks like they are going to push it. And, uh, you know, it's really the, the best way to ensure things are on the up and up and that people that want to wager on these games are going to have the best information available to them at the time that uh, that they're laying their money on the line. Farhan Lodgy uh, put these as details that the reports will include player's name, the body part that's injured, the status of practice that day, and the projection for his game that week, and those will be updated again on a day-to-day basis. As far as where COVID-19 fits, they will not have a separate list like the NHL did. Instead, COVID protocols will be listed on the injury report. It's certainly a move in the right direction because if you're trying to court that business, it's, it's sort of what Rob Vanstone was saying on his uh, podcast with the Leader Post, Rider Rumblings, that you you have to make the business side trump every once in a while over what the coaches and what the GMs want. Absolutely. So we're looking at kind of similar categorization to what the NFL does, where somebody is out, doubtful, questionable, probable, game time decision type thing in order to make those decisions and then I guess with with COVID they would actually be able to give us pretty definite answers as to whether somebody's playing or not depending on the amount of time involved Um, and I guess the the severity of the contact and those sorts of things as far as how long they have to isolate and and how long they're unavailable for. You need that information to make a fair assessment of where your money needs to go. Information helps and the more you have the more it helps i've been guilty of setting my lineups too early and forgetting about them and not coming back to it and seeing who tweaked themselves in the last practice and is now not going to be able to play it's going to make me a better gambler i hope but uh, i'm not going to retire on my gambling winnings anytime soon uh, that's for sure as people will find out through the season when we talk about our picks People will be wondering if I have anything but rocks in my head at the best of times. I either hit it or I miss. There's no in-between with me. So you don't score the rouge on your DraftKings then. It's uh, it's either a, a field goal or no points on the board. If I'm not mistaken, I think I've had maybe the lowest score ever <laughs> where all four games turned out to be duds for me. Yeah, one carry for negative three yards is probably the 
the running backs that I usually end up with when I'm drafting teams. We're doing a, uh, a draft pool through a pool tracker and we're inviting other podcasters to join us to compete. And it, that's a results-based effort. Hopefully I can build this up a little bit as we get closer to the season. Now, this isn't against the spread though, right? This is just straight up wins and losses? This is with the spread involved. Oh boy. Okay, that's that's going to be a game changer. <laughs> it makes it a little bit more difficult for sure. I'll be checking the weather forecast on top of the eligible players and, and who's on the injured list before I uh, make my selections. The pool tracker setup is, is that you have games to choose each weekend and you rate them based on your confidence in the game. If there are four games, you can put four points on one game, three points on another, two on the third, and then one on the last. One thing I'll keep an eye on as well, because I'm as guilty of this as anybody, is sometimes betting with my heart and not with my brain. So if we've got participants that are dedicated to specific teams through their podcasts, are they going to be looking at some of those teams through rose-colored glasses and not basing it on reality of, of maybe who they're facing? Yeah, you're, you're looking at a guy that's guilty as charged. <laughs> that's something that we'll talk about as the season... Uh, approaches. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.